Thanks for joining us on Youth Sunday. Glad to have you here. Uh, Being that it's Youth Sunday, before I get into the sermon, I just wanted to highlight our summer schedule um, as a youth ministry because it's a busy one. It's going to be a great, uh, great, great summer. So we are kicking off our summer uh, with our high school big trip to Lake of the Ozarks, June 5th through the 11th. Yeah, we are excited for that. We have this massive lakeside mansion rented out um, where the leaders will be staying. The kids are going to stay in a shack just right down the street. Um, and, you know, we've got speedboats and, and we're going to be tubing, so we're excited for that. And then later that month, June 23rd through the 26th, we have our Junior High Glenwood trip, which is for everyone entering into 6th grade all the way through 8th grade. So, um, parents, if you're in here and you've got a 5th grader who's going to be going into 6th grade, they are invited on this trip. We would love to have them. It's an amazing way for them to connect into the youth group. So um, also, parents of fifth graders, um, today is Move Up Sunday. So um, your fifth grader starting tonight can join us in youth group uh, from 4.30 to 6. And we're also going to have just a quick little meet and greet um, after service down in the fellowship hall, which is just down the main stairs um, with the nice little light lunch. So um, again, June 23rd to the 26th, Junior High Glenwood. We're excited for that. Then July 16th, Um, High school, mark your calendars, we are going to be having the Better Together Volleyball Tournament. Um, We are going to be partnering with Waterstone, Mosaic, and a few other churches in the area um, to have a volleyball tournament over at Dakota Ridge um, with the idea that, you know what, when we work together as churches, we really are better. Um, Then that next week, July 22nd, junior high and high school, we are going to be taking part in another multi-church, hopefully statewide, um, event over at Waterworld. Uh, So we're going to be going to Waterworld, and then they're going to be closing down the park for our group two hours early. Um, We get to ride some of the rides exclusively, and then there's going to be a concert following that. So um, yes, we are amped for that. And then we wrap up this crazy summer, uh, July 26th to the 30th, uh, with our high school trip to the Rockies trip. Seniors, that's your last trip, um, and it's a great way to end the summer. We're going to be up in Glenwood, um, and we're going to be rafting in Buena Vista and staying in Fair Play. So we got a great summer uh, planned. Um, we are excited. Yeah, you can clap for that. It feels, it feels good to be able to do all that, so we're excited. Well, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to hop into the message. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this day. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, just this, this opportunity for us to gather in person. Lord, thank you for how you've sustained us um, over this last year and a half, Lord, and uh, just all that you've done. Lord, I pray this morning um, that you speak through me. Uh, Lord, get me out of the way and, and just say what you want to say this morning. I pray that you open ears and hearts to your word today, Lord God, and to what you've got to say. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things I remember uh, being a youth that was hugely impactful in my life during junior high and high school was music. Music was a huge part of my life, and music is honestly what got me through a lot of the awkward, difficult teenage struggles. And the beautiful thing about music is it's not just something you like like for a season. Um, I would say that just about everyone in here if not everyone in here likes music, right? Do all, all of us music fans? Yeah, yeah, there's some amazing music. And, and every once in a while, um, we hear a song on the radio that just gets stuck in our head. Um, you, you, just, you can't get it out of your head. Um, anyone in here had a song stuck in their head? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a few songs that really get stuck in your head. So this morning, I thought we'd have some fun. Um, and I'd get some songs stuck in your head. Um, so we're going we're gonna to play a few songs, and if you know them, 
feel free to sing with me. Uh, actually, sing out loud. I'm not going to sing. You don't want to hear my voice. Um, but we're just going to listen to a few songs that got stuck in your head. So uh, let's, let's hear the first one. Come on, you all know the motions. Come on, come on, everyone, do it with me. Right, right. All right. So. Come on, 90s kids. When I get up again, oh, they're ever going to get me down. Oh, man. Throwback. How many of you guys have some zonk stick in your head now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chumbawamba, one hit wonder. Well, uh, you know, I feel a little bad. I got to half apologize uh, because now all of you are going to have It's a Small World stuck in your head for the next three months. Okay, that song stays. Um, Like I said, half apologize because in my office, while I was finding some songs, I just started giggling to myself because I knew that's what would happen. So um, you're welcome. You're welcome, okay? All right, you're going to walk out of here singing that. Well, we get those songs stuck in our head or songs like that stuck in our head because they're catchy, right? They've got a nice little beat. Sometimes it's because the words are repetitive. But then there's songs you get stuck in your head because of the message. You hear a song, and it's got that one line that just, it resonates with you. All right, it gets you right here. And you just repeat that line over and over and over again. I know there's a few songs for me, if I'm being honest, that I hear them. I start hearing that, that one line, and it's like I start tearing up, you know, because they just impact you. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to walk through a, a chunk of 2 Corinthians where Paul has this idea, this truth that is stuck in his head. And you know what? I'd say it's not just stuck in its head. He's got this truth that it's worked its way into his heart and that he cannot help but share. And he doesn't just share it once, twice. He just, he's repetitive with it. Paul talks about this same truth in this passage over and over and over again. And so this morning, as I preach, I'm going to talk about that same truth over and over and over again. This is going to quite likely be the most repetitive sermon you've ever heard, okay? And it's not to annoy you. And you know what? When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's not doing this to annoy the Corinthians, to frustrate them. He's repeating himself because what he has to say is profound, because it is deep, because it is the most impactful thing he could ever talk about. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to repeat myself, not to annoy you, not to frustrate you, but because what Paul is talking about 
is the biggest, most important thing we could talk about. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Chapter 5. Now, just to give you a little context, we're going to pick it up in verse 14, but to give you some context, um, Paul in this letter, he's addressing some things that the Corinthian church is struggling with. Um, They're doing some things wrong. But then there's also these false teachers that have kind of infiltrated the church. Um, And they've begun to give some false doctrine. But on top of that, these false teachers have also begun to say that what Paul's preaching is not right. Um, They've they've put Paul's authority and who he is and his message into question. And so right before this, um, Paul... Paul defends himself and his message and the gospel that he's, he's brought. And so that's where we're jumping in. So verse 14, it says this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. We're going to stop right there. Man, that one sentence is so powerful, isn't it? I know we've heard that before, and we read over it, and we brush over that. But what Paul is saying is he's saying that Jesus Christ loved you so much, loved you more than anything, that he went up on a cross and died for your sins and my sin. He's saying that, that God took your place. Jesus took your place. The punishment for your sin. For your wrongdoings, Jesus took it. That he went up on a cross for you and for me so that we might know God, our Heavenly Father, our Creator for eternity. As I read that passage and as I begin to think about all of my past mistakes, my sin, my shortcomings, even now. And as I look at what Jesus did for me, man, the magnitude of that one sentence, what Christ did, it changes everything, doesn't it? That is massive. And Paul slips a little thing in there at the end of that sentence. He says this, We are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. What he's saying is that if you you are in Christ, that old flesh nature, the old nature that was focused on living life for me, that was focused on doing what I wanted, that old sinful nature, it died with Jesus. He's saying we took part in his death. The old life died. Christ's sacrifice did that for you and for me. And then he continues. Verse 15 says this, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What he's saying is, Your old life's gone. And in this new life, in response to Christ's sacrifice, in response to him taking your place, in response to him paying the price for all the sins you've ever done, are doing, or ever will do, in response to that, in this new life he has given you, 
Now we no longer live for me. I no longer live for myself. But now I live for Jesus. My life is now his. This new life he gave me is all about him. And what does God desire? Well, he tells us all throughout Scripture, first and foremost, we we are to love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. And then it follows real quickly right after that. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, to live for him, this new life that Christ calls us into, is a life focused on him and loving him and knowing him. It's a life focused on others. And then after that, then it's me. It's Jesus, his call for us to love others, and then it's myself. And so if I could rule, just just in a short, short little one-liner, boil down what Paul is saying in these two passages, it's this. Jesus died for me, so now I live for Jesus. Jesus died for me, so now I live for Jesus. And that sacrifice like I said earlier, changed everything. It changes everything about our lives. And Paul, Paul talks a little bit about that. Paul then continues to tell us how Christ's sacrifice changes your life and my life, how what he did, the magnitude of that, how it impacts us. Verse 16, he says this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He's saying, you know what? Christ's death, it changes how you see people. We no longer see people like we once did. It's real easy to see people in light of all the things that they've done wrong to me. It's real easy to see people in light of all the things they've just done wrong in general. How unkind of a person they are. How bad of a person they are. How they never keep their word. I mean, fill in the blank. But see, we we no longer see people in that worldly view anymore. You see, now we see people as God's creation, as someone who God loves more than anything and someone whom he wants to know deeply for all of eternity. Christ's sacrifice, it changes how we see people, but it does even more than that. Look at Paul's next line here. It says, verse 17, he says, therefore, in other words, In light of everything I just said, in view of Christ's death and resurrection, in view of the death you took part in and the new life that you were invited into, in view of how great he is and how powerful that death and resurrection was, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That is life-changing. That changes everything. Think about uh, when you got your license. You guys remember when you got your license? Who here remembers that? If you haven't got your license yet, one day you will, okay? All right? But when you got your license, that changed your life, didn't it? I mean, think about it. Before you got your license, you were dependent on mom and dad or someone else to give you a ride everywhere you went. Okay? And if they couldn't or if they said no... Too bad, you're not going anywhere, right? You're stuck. And then you got your license, and that 
changed everything because now you had freedom. You could go where you wanted, whenever you wanted, so long as mom and dad said it was okay, of course. So mostly freedom, okay? But that opened up the entire world to you, didn't it? Now you could go anywhere. You were no longer held back by anything. And so your life, really, when you look at it, has never been the same since you got your license. I mean, how dependent are we on having cars to go places? How many of you drove here this morning? Yeah, if you had never gotten your license, you might not have been here, okay? So that, that changed our life. And we have other moments in our life where life never looked the same, where it changed things, where things were different from that point on. We'll see what Paul is talking about here. This, this life change, Christ's sacrifice, is much more, far more impactful and life-changing than anything else we have ever experienced in this life. You see, because while those events changed a little bit about you, while those events had, a, had an impact on you, what Paul talks about when he says this, when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Paul is talking about an identity change. Christ's sacrifice changed you to the core, to the very essence of your being because you have a new identity. You are brand new. You see, no longer are you seen or no longer are you defined by your sins, your flaws, your shortcomings, your past mistakes, all the things that are wrong about you or that you think are wrong about you, that no longer is what you are defined by. When God sees you, when he looks at you because of Christ's sacrifice, he sees righteous. He sees you are in right standing. You are made perfect by Christ's sacrifice. That is your new identity in Christ. And the beautiful thing about this new life is that, you know what, you and I, we are going to continue to fall short. We are going to continue to sin. But again, that's not what defines you. God sees Christ's sacrifice. What he did sees you as righteous even in the midst of your failings because of Jesus and his death on the cross for you. Man, the magnitude of that, the weight of that, the power of that. Paul continues. He says this. Everything I've just said is he says all this, everything before that I just told you, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. He's saying, look, Jesus' death, his sacrifice on the cross for you, it brought you close to him. It took away any and every barrier that got in the way of your relationship with God. Anything that kept you from knowing your creator, anything that kept you from having a deep, eternal, lifelong relationship with God, Jesus took away with his death, with his sacrifice, with his resurrection. That is now gone. You have been reconciled. You have been brought close to God because of his death because Jesus died for you but he doesn't stop there all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, what he's saying is this. Jesus' death, his resurrection, his sacrifice changed everything about you. It gave you a new identity. It reconciled you to him. It brought you close to him again. And so now you know what? Because of that and in response to that, God has now made you an active participant in what he is doing on this earth here and now. He has called you to be an active part of his reconciliation of this earth to him. We are called to now not live this life for me and what I want. We are called to live this life for him and what he's called us to and telling others this good news, telling others how Jesus Christ changed my life, how he saved me, how he brought me close to my father. A really short two-sentence summarization of what Paul just said there is this. Jesus died for me. So now I live for Jesus. Jesus died for me. So now I live for Jesus. If we look back and read these, oh man, gosh, what's it been? Five verses. The truth that Paul just keeps talking over and over and over again is about Jesus' death and resurrection and how powerful that is, what it means to us, how much we need it, and how that changes our life forever. How our life is no longer our own. How we no longer live for him. Paul has been very repetitive, hasn't he? You're up there, sitting there going, yeah, and so have you. <laughs> Paul's been repetitive. Now let me ask you this. We have to often repeat ourselves, right? Oftentimes. Parents, you have to repeat yourself to your kids because they're not listening to you, they're distracted, or because they're stuck on their phone like this. Wives, you have to repeat yourself to their husband because they're not listening to you, they're distracted, or they're stuck on their phones like this. My wife is smirking and shaking her head, okay? If we had a dollar for every time my wife had to repeat herself, we would have hundreds of thousands of dollars, okay? Okay, maybe not that much, maybe like 10 or 15. No, (laughs) no. She said no. Okay, all right, I'm sorry. I thought I was a better listener than that, okay? I try, I try. Kids, sometimes you have to repeat yourself to your parents and to your friends because they're not paying attention. They're not listening to you. They're distracted. They're on their phones or their laptops. We have to repeat ourselves, and we don't love doing that. We don't like repeating ourselves. And I'd say we don't like when people repeat things to us. Hey, what's the typical response you get when you repeat yourself to someone? You get the, I heard you the first time. I already knew that. You didn't have to tell me again. Or sometimes you get the uh, silent eye roll, right? Okay, I got real good at the eye roll because I watched all my siblings do the eye roll in front of my parents right there. I learned to wait until my parents were out of the room or until I was out of the room. Then I did the eye roll, okay? But it's like my parents, it's like they had a camera or they just had a sixth sense because from across the room or from another room I'd hear, don't roll your eyes at me. What is that? Parents, do you have a sixth sense for that? Goodness gracious. 
Needless to say, we don't like people repeating things to us. It frustrates us. It annoys us. Now, if you're the one doing the repeating, okay, there's a few reasons you're repeating something. One, because they didn't listen. We covered that, okay? Or two, because what you have to say, the message you have is so important. It's so magnificent. It's it's such big news that you want to make sure that what you told them is understood. You want to make sure that whoever you're talking to understands the importance of what you're telling them. You want to make sure they don't forget because they need to know this or they need to get it right. That's what Paul is doing here. He's repeating himself not to annoy the Corinthians, not to sound like a broken record, not to frustrate them, but because he wants to make sure they understand the magnitude of what he's saying. He wants to make sure they get just how big Jesus Christ's sacrifice was for them and for us. He wants to make sure they even just grasp a little bit, comprehend a tiny bit of how life-changing, how eternity-changing that death and resurrection was. And he wants to make sure they get that because of that, our lives are now no longer our own. This life is no longer about me. It's about him. So Paul's been very repetitive, but he's not done. He's not done. One more time. One more time. Listen to what he says. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Now he's talking about himself and the other apostles here. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What he's saying is he's right then and there. He's begging. He's asking the Corinthians, and you hear see it in the last part of the verse, be reconciled to God. In other words, what's going on is Paul's life has been completely changed by Jesus. His death and resurrection, Paul is no longer the same. And Paul understands that my life is no longer my own. And so here we see Paul being being an example of a changed life by Christ and how to live that out. He is going to the Corinthians and saying, look, I am an active part of what Jesus Christ is doing here on this earth, right here, right now, to reconcile you to him Please be reconciled. His life is no longer his own. He's living for Jesus. And then just in case, just in case they did not understand, look at what he says next. Verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I want to read the top half of 21 again. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Just in case you did not hear it one more time, look what Jesus did. He took all of our sin, all of our wrongs for you and for me so that we might be righteous in front of him. 
so that we might be made perfect, so we would be reconciled to him, have an eternal lifelong relationship with him, with our creator. Paul kind of flip-flopped it in this, but you know what? If I boil it down into simple terms, can you guess what Paul's saying here? Can you guess what I'm about to say? Jesus died for me, so now I live for Jesus. If you're in here, and this is your first time hearing this, or maybe it's your hundredth time, but you're going, you know what? I want that new life. I want to know God. I want to be an active part of what he's doing here on this earth. I want to experience the magnitude of that sacrifice for me. All you got to do is pray. Pray and tell him, you know what? Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of grace, in need of a Savior. Would you be Lord of my life? I want to follow you for the rest of my life. You don't have to pray those word for word, but you got to pray something like, just pray something like that. And then you know what? Go find someone next to you. Go find someone on staff. Go find a close friend and tell them. Let them know. Let them celebrate with you, but also let them walk alongside you because this life, it's not meant to be walked alone. We're not meant to do this alone. If you're in here, and like myself, you've been a Christian for a while now, then this is my prayer for you. My prayer is that you never, never forget, never lose the magnitude of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. My prayer is that that not just be another sentence written in here, but that you get even just a taste of what his death and resurrection means for you. That you even just get just a taste of how much he loves you, how much he adores you, how much he wants to have an eternity with you. I pray that you never lose the significance and the power of that sacrifice for you. I pray that it be something that's not just stuck in your head, not just something that you play over and over here, but something that's taken root in your heart, in your soul, in your very bones. And I also pray that we, we continue to live, that we know that this life, because of his death and resurrection, is not about us. I pray that we be an active part, that we be active participants in God's work on this earth here and now. That we be active parts of God reconciling this earth and the people around us to him. That we no longer live for me and what I want, but that we live for Jesus. That we live to serve other people. That we live to bring other people to him, to be reconciled to God. To help other people see and experience and know his death and resurrection for them. I'm going to go ahead and welcome the worship team back up. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue in worship of our Father. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us because you loved us. You love us more than anything. And so you went up on a cross. You paid the price for our sin. 
you took our place, Lord. And because of your death, because of your resurrection, Lord, we are now seen as righteous. We have right standing with God because of you. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room today know that. I pray that every single person in this room today experience that and feel that. I pray that they never lose the magnitude, Lord. I pray that they uh, repeat that over and over and over and over again, Lord. But Lord, I also pray that we live for you, that we remember this life is no longer mine, but it belongs to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.